0: Welcome fans of the Justice League Universe. My name is Sam. In this podcast, Alessandro Maniscalco and I share our analysis of the DC films from Warner Brothers. We just released our Man of Steel commentary, and next up will be the big Batman Superman fight from Batman v Superman. But right now, we're going to cover the next scene in Suicide Squad namely the enchantress briefing with members of the security council and the joint chiefs of staff according to the novelization this meeting takes place in the situation room in the white house but the president was not in attendance of course the main person at the table is the chairman of the joint chiefs and it's really him that waller needs to convince if she does that everyone else will follow along so recall in the previous scenes that amanda waller introduced us to the team she finished with the line In a world of flying men and monsters, this is the only way to protect our country. That led to a great transition into the new scene because she just talked about protecting our country in the new era, and now we go to the old guard, the National Security Council, who are charged with protecting our country. Furthermore, we the audience just met the team, and it's a controversial bunch. Now we get to see how the military bigwigs will react to that team. We also just saw Waller boasting about her skills of persuasion, and now we get to see her in action. Can she live up to her claim that she gets people to do what she wants them to do? It's an effective framing of the scene for the audience. And the real question is not, will she convince them to approve the squad, because we know she'll get that approval, otherwise there wouldn't be a movie. The question is, how will she convince them? Now right off the bat, I should say there is one complaint I have about the scene. It's a line that was in one of the trailers, but not in the final cut of the movie. In the trailer, Tolliver says, Gentlemen, ladies, and there's a great reaction shot from Viola Davis as Amanda Waller. I just loved that moment and all the layers it had about a powerful woman occupying a male dominated space. So I was sad to see that reaction shot and that line missing from the final cut of the movie. And I know other people have other moments that they saw in the trailers that were. They were sad to see absent from the movie, but this was the one that was really a big loss for me. Instead, the film version of scene 10 starts with the national security advisor, Tolliver, making an, an explicit reference to Superman. What if Superman had decided to fly down, rip off the roof of the White House, and grab the President of the United States right out of the Oval Office? Who would have stopped him? This positions Suicide Squad as another great extension of the world launched by Man of Steel. In Man of Steel, we saw Clark's initial experiences on Earth and humanity's initial reactions to alien life. In BVS, we saw some very personal responses to Superman's existence, in terms of Bruce and Lex, as well as the public sentiments that came along with that. And now in Suicide Squad, we're seeing the military leader's response to the existence of metahumans. The US military had been the top dog for decades, but now they have seen beings with powers beyond even their military capabilities. What will the military's response be? Now, as Man of Steel Answers pointed out in his episode on Amanda Waller, Tolliver is just using the idea of stopping Superman as a hypothetical reason to consider recruiting or weaponizing supervillains. He's not saying that the sole purpose of the eventual Suicide Squad will be to actually take out Superman. Of course, Harley and Boomerang and even Deadshot would not be sufficient to take out a Kryptonian. Something of that level doesn't need to be their first mission even though Enchantress and Diablo could arguably have a shot against Superman, the broader point is that it's a new era, an era of metahumans, and the military does not take kindly to being outgunned. So how are they going to keep up in this new sort of arms race? One might ask, wouldn't Batman be sufficient in this arms race? Uh, We already saw that he could take out Superman once, and maybe he could do it again. But that wouldn't be a satisfactory answer for this group, because Batman doesn't answer directly to the National Security Council or the Joint Chiefs. It's also pretty risky to put so much responsibility on one man, even if it is Batman. And we also learn by the end of the movie that Waller and the government don't exactly approve of Batman, although they use him for their own ends sometimes, such as in capturing Deadshot. Tolliver continues by saying that they have contingency plans for other kinds of threats, but not if the next Superman becomes a terrorist. He's implying that metahumans, they know about Wonder Woman, and they also have files on other metahumans, are a new threat in the world, even if they haven't acted out violently yet. This suggests that the government has metahuman research, which is confirmed, of course, later in the movie. Another thing to notice with this opening salvo about Superman is that they don't mention Zod, who actually was a terrorist Kryptonian who came to Earth. In that situation Superman was around to stop him, but now that Superman is gone the government has to look for other forms of defense, specifically ones that would be under their control. Then Tolliver throws it over to Amanda Waller for her sales pitch. She says, I want to build a team of some very bad people who I think can do some good. She refers to the next war, which foreshadows what she'll also say later to Rick Flagg, when Flagg was challenging the idea of the squad. But here. In making a punchy sales pitch, she has oversimplified the idea of good when she was talking about very bad people and doing some good. Good for whom? Is what's good for the U.S. security interests the same thing as what's good in an abstract sense? She also oversimplified the idea of bad people. What does it mean for a person to be entirely bad? And how is that related to someone who has maybe done some bad things in the past? Is doing something bad in the past the same as being a bad person and this last point is an idea that carries through most of the film so we'll be tracking that in our analysis so Waller meets some immediate resistance to her plan the chairman says the monsters displayed behind Waller on the wall will not be allowed back onto the street and Waller rather than challenging the chairman's characterization of the squad as monsters She instead clarifies that they won't officially be operating in the name of the U.S. military. They can be thrown under the bus if needed. And again, as Man of Steel Answers pointed out, this doesn't mean that the squad has to be thrown under the bus, just that they could if it was ever needed. But back to the idea of monsters, Waller lets it slide that the chairman referred to them as monsters. Maybe it's because Waller agrees, or maybe it's because she wisely knew that that would not be the best way to win the argument. But for the audience, we can wonder what it is that makes the squad monsters. Is it perception from a certain point of view? Are they really monsters from all points of view? What we'll see is that the squad members aren't monsters to one another. It's really Waller who ends up being more of the monster in the eyes of the squad. In the next line, Waller reemphasizes the idea of the next war. This seems to be her strongest tact for the sales pitch. The idea of a next war may also foreshadow the Justice League film. She wants to use her leverage to build a team of metahumans and other skilled people so that they could match up with other metahumans. As Waller sees it, coercing a team together from those already captured is a more feasible plan than trying to recruit a team above board. This whole movie is basically Waller trying to prove that this coercive approach is the right one. And of course we'll see that it's not. The team only becomes effective once they rely on friendship rather than coercion. And of course, Enchantress, as the villain, uh, only became that way um, when Waller failed to control her, as she thought that she could. But to finish off her sales pitch, Waller has to convince them that the squad members, the monsters, can be controlled. Waller calls forward Dr. Moon, who was seated to the side next to Flag. First of all, the fact that Waller can beckon forward a Doctor of Archaeology this easily already shows some command on the part of Waller. Then we get the really unique visual moment with the fingers where Doctor Moon turns into Enchantress. I really liked the smoky design of Enchantress too, and I really liked that finger transition. Unfortunately, in the movie overall, uh, Enchantress won't always be as cool as she was in this scene. But Waller refers to the information that they have in the file on Enchantress, and Waller says that Enchantress has walked the earth for a very long time, and will likely be here when they're long gone. And this is some false foreshadowing, because what actually happens is that Enchantress is the one dead by the end of the movie. Waller sends Enchantress to Iran to get some classified information, and the go-get-it-girl line was to our ears more about Waller treating Enchantress like her trained dog than it was about like a girl power line. We also see in the scene that Waller uses the heart to control Enchantress. And another important thing we learn is how changing into Enchantress drains Dr. Moon, and how Dr. Moon doesn't want to do it again. Flag is there to comfort her after the exertion, and Waller tells Flag to get Moon out of there. So Waller has control over Flag just as much as she does over Enchantress. And the Joint Chiefs and stuff can see that Waller has that control. But the main thing in the scene is the chairman's assessment of Waller's plan. He is thoroughly impressed with the Iranian files, and he goes from calling Enchantress a magic show to seeing her potential as an asset. And this display of power from Enchantress also shows that the world is not only dealing with superpowered aliens, but now they also have mysticism and magic in this universe. And we know from the history of Superman's character that Superman is just as vulnerable to magic as everyone else is, so it basically seems like a big weakness for Superman, because usually he's less vulnerable to things. Um, we won't see that play out in this movie, of course, but it is an issue that could come up in future movies in the Justice League universe. To wrap up the scene, uh, the filmmakers also fit in a funny moment with the Don't Touch Me bit that got a good laugh in the showing that I went to uh, opening weekend. And then the filmmakers hit us with a bit of comic book information, as the military people said they want to establish Task Force X under the Argus program. Argus is from the comics. It was introduced in the New 52 comics in 2011. And it started out historically as the armed revolutionaries governing under secrecy, um, before more recently, and in the current kind of comics being run by Amanda Waller, as the advanced research group uniting superhumans. Steve Trevor has also been involved running Argus. And uh, Argus has also shown up on the TV show Arrow on the CW. But just mentioning Argus in this film opens up lots of potential future connections in the universe especially since there was a quick mention of Argus by Lex in Batman v Superman, and we know that Doug Lehman has been hired to direct a possible Justice League Dark movie, maybe called Dark Universe. In the comics, Argus attempted to control Justice League Dark, and that fed into the event known as the Trinity War. So if that Dark Universe movie happens, we might be seeing a lot more of Argus. But anyway, the scene has now taken us where we needed to go. The squad has been approved, and we've seen Waller flex her muscles. Um, But also she's displayed her hubris, which might come back to bite her later. Next up, she actually has to form the squad. That's what we have for scene 10. As always, we encourage you to check out Man of Steel Answers, especially because his episode on Amanda Waller has analysis of this scene, as well as Waller's operations overall. And be sure to also check out the Suicide Squad cast for your DC-related news.